Today on Growing Through Grace. There's lots of lessons to be learned. I'll tell you what the one that maybe you should learn, and it's an important one. And here's the lesson. Compromise always fails. If you're looking to accomplish God's will by somehow compromising, you'll never get His will accomplished. Listening to Growing Through Grace with Pastor Jack Abelin of Morningstar Christian Chapel in Whittier, California. Here we are at the end of another week, and we're looking forward to our next installment from our series in the book of Acts. Now we'll be looking at chapter 21, verses 18 through 40 together, as Pastor Jack teaches us through Paul's time in Jerusalem and the events that led up to his arrest. He's titled this study, A Failing Compromise. And we'll see exactly what that means as this message unfolds. Here's Pastor Jack. All right, let's open our Bibles this evening to Acts chapter 21, verse 18. We start a new section of of the book of Acts called the uh, The Road to Rome. For the last 15 years or so, Paul has been on the move. He went to Turkey. He went to Europe. He went to Asia, spent three years in Ephesus, a year and a half in Corinth, started churches wherever he went, spent a year pastoring the church in Antioch in Syria. But beginning here in verse 18, running through the end of chapter 26, Paul will spend most of his time in prison. He will be facing persecution, difficulty, hatefulness, and murder, for that matter, for his faith in Christ and for the fulfillment of the many prophecies that had been told him as he was headed here. Luke is led by the Holy Spirit to dedicate six chapters and 175 verses to this time in Paul's life. So there's a lot we can learn about Christians and suffering for righteousness sake, and even how at times God may allow you to suffer being unjustly treated because he wants to use you to reach others. And sometimes the way you suffer shines the brightest light of all. And it certainly was the case in Paul's testimony. The way that he faced what he faced became a light to many. Tonight we want to focus on two communities. The religious community of the Jews who would further reject, for the most part, the good news of Jesus, while the Romans, who periodically at least in the scriptures, showed a kindness to the church early on, and they could also be as brutal as you know, the, the, the killing of James, if you will. Um, and, and we'll look at those two groups. Jewish opposition to the gospel of Jesus can be traced back to the beginning of the church in the book of Acts. And if you back up a little further into the ministry of Jesus for all of those years as well. And, and they suffered because of it. Uh, we have seen Peter, John, and eventually all of the apostles arrested, beaten, some of them killed, threatened, certainly, warned to no longer preach in Jesus' name. Gamaliel, the, the, the Jewish you know, leader, gave some good counsel in Acts chapter 5, where he said, you know, if we're fighting against God, we're going we're gonna to lose. 
So we are probably better just to get our hands off of this thing and rather than beating these disciples, let's just see what the work will come to. If it comes to nothing, it was a work of man anyway. And if it survives, we'll find ourselves fighting against God. That's a battle we don't want to fight. But that's the way that the church had, or, or the church had seen the reaction of, to the religious folks who were around them. Chapter 7, Stephen is stoned to death. In chapter 8 and 9, the church is driven from Jerusalem. Saul begins to hunt them down, you know, to kill them, to arrest them, to imprison them. After his conversion, Paul is hounded everywhere he goes by legalists who follow him from country to country with violence and death threats and certainly subterfuge in, in many ways. Like Paul, like, I should say like Jesus, Paul faced much of his persecution from religious people. It's an interesting comparison. If you look at the things Jesus went through and the things Paul went through, they're very similar. They went through a lot of trials. Jesus referred before Caiaphas and then Annas and then before the Sanhedrin, before being taken to Pilate, who sent him to Herod, who sent him back to Pilate. You look at Paul's story here in, in the chapters ahead of us. He gets, he gets you know, judged by the crowds in chapter 22 and by the Sanhedrin in chapter 23 and by Felix and Festus, Herod Agrippa II in Caesarea, and then an, a, another sixth trial before Herod, which would be his last. He would end up losing his head over it. Just like Jesus, Paul was rejected by his own countrymen and persecuted by the Romans as well. He was falsely accused. He was beaten for his faith. He was misrepresented by false witnesses. He was slapped in the face in court. They had plots to kill him time and again. The crowd's responses to Paul were, were very much what you will find of their response to Jesus some 25 or so years earlier. You will read down in verse 36 of this chapter tonight. And the crowds of people began to yell, away with him. The Romans, on the other hand, were, at least in some places, sentimental from time to time towards the church. But the notion that the greatest enemy you will ever fight is a religious one is probably correct. Not a political one, that stirs enough people up. But religious motives are, are the worst of all <laughs> when it comes to violence and hatred. So the, the, the Romans in in Philippi, apologized for beating Paul falsely. In Corinth, Galileo, the proconsul, stood up and held up the church against the accusation of the religious. In Ephesus, the chief clerk went to bat for Paul in an arena, screaming with people to say he hadn't done anything wrong. It would be the Roman officials here that protect Paul from murderous. Plot. So you, you, you can sit or see both sides of the fence. These next couple of chapters are, are there's lots of lessons to be learned. I'll, I'll tell you what the one that maybe you should learn from the rest of this chapter, and, and it's an important one. And, and here's the lesson compromise always fails. If you're looking to accomplish God's will by somehow compromising, you'll never get his will accomplished. We will see Paul, our hero from the book of Acts, in his desire and his effort to reach out to his own, be counseled by James and others to make some conciliatory moves to satisfy religious Jews in Jerusalem. He does so, but his very actions are the basis for their rage. It absolutely turns 
against him. So, so here's, you know, set the stage for you for a minute. Paul had carried the Jews and the church in Jerusalem in his heart for, for decades. He really felt, you know, that, that there was an obligation on his part to involve the Gentile churches in the life of the, of the Jewish saints in Jerusalem. He had planted tens if not hundreds of churches. He was willing to bring financial help from all of them on this trip in particular and bring the leadership of those churches to say, we love you and we're with you. We're one body. He arrived with many brothers in tow, according to verse 4 of this chapter, or actually, yeah, that's good enough. And though he had been given plenty of warnings on what awaited him here, he was, he was focused on the one issue that this is something God wants me to do. And he didn't want to avoid the danger. He wanted to press on in faith and the devotion to the Lord. He was excited about it. He even said to the Romans when he wrote to them, chapter 15, verse 31, pray that my service to the, to the saints in Jerusalem would be accepted. I want this to work. He wanted to bring the church together. That really was his heart. The Jerusalem church has never been totally friendly to Paul. Persecuted by the religious fringe for his faith in Christ, then for his boldness to speak about grace to the saints in the Lord, his freedom from legalism that offended them, his willingness to embrace Gentiles so quickly, and all of that was working against him. He, he didn't make a lot of friends standing where the Lord wanted him to stand. Paul had come to Jerusalem a handful of times since he'd been saved years earlier, and each time he, he hoped to correct and to inspire what he saw as a prevailing weakness in the church, which was to let go of those old religious practices and embrace the grace of God that was exemplified in all those types that they held on to so dearly. But those were now fulfilled. We don't need them anymore. Jesus is here. This hype has been fulfilled. There were many Jewish believers in Jesus who were bound still with James in the practice of the law of Moses. Customs. Even customs and practices that weren't biblical but had been established by the scribes and Pharisees for years before. My father grew up as a very staunch Catholic. When my dad got saved, it took him a long time to let go of some of those Catholic practices in his life. He knew the Lord, loved the Lord, but man, those things are ingrained, you know, they grab hold of you and they keep you, and, and they were important to him. And, and it was really foolish to try to address them because his heart was okay. He just kind of needed to work his way out of all of that stuff. And that's really what's happening here. These are, are, are genuine believers caught up in, in years and centuries of Old Testament habits, if you will. And yet it, had, it hurt the church early on, and it was a transition that the Gentiles didn't have to go through. So even those scribes and practices, uh, practice of the scribes and Pharisees that the Lord had never prescribed, they were still clinging to and so often. Jesus spoke a lot about them in the Sermon on the Mount, talked about letting them go, letting, let, letting them not dominate your heart, if you will. It, it led to some in the church in Jerusalem harboring a sense of superiority over the Gentiles. It, it wasn't a good thing. Paul, who was the Hebrew among the Hebrews, had planted churches for two decades, had loudly proclaimed to everyone, <laughs> as loud as he could, that it was an issue of the love of God and faith in Jesus, and that all of these Old Testament 
rituals found in Judaism were only rituals. And, and with a heart for the Lord, they, they are fulfilled in Christ. They're done with. You can lay them down. He saw them, as he said to the Galatians in chapter, no, no, the Colossians in chapter 2. He said, you know, they were a shadow of things to come, but the substance of those is Christ. So that's Paul now coming to Jerusalem. Imagine, you know, the, the, the barrier that he runs into. Paul had had his run-ins with Jewish Christian legalists before. They showed up in Galatia. It was that time when Peter, you know, moved for tables and dragged Barnabas with him, and there was confusion, you know, Peter was no longer living the grace of God because he was afraid of the disciples of James. Now these weren't wicked, horrible guys necessarily. A lot of them were, were moderates, but they were just still caught in a lot of those Old Testament commitments that, that needed to be let go. I know some of you that you, you get saved and, and yet there's religious practices take a while to, to, work, to work, work away from you, you know, or get you free of them. And, and, and it takes some time. But, but when Paul called Peter and Barnabas to stumbling, you know, he talked to Peter about legalism and what a hateful trap that it was. With all of that having been said over the last 20 years or so, 25 years of the church, Paul has prayed about coming and making a difference here in Jerusalem for years. It was in his heart. God's grace was available. His people were bound to the law. He felt like a perfect candidate to talk to them about Judaism, uh, with how he had grown up and, and how he had learned to be the, you know, living the Hellenistic life as a, a, a Jew in a Gentile neighborhood. He was just sure that this would help. So imagine showing up with all kinds of loot, gifts given freely by Gentile believers to help the struggling church, and it was struggling in Jerusalem, sometime before Pentecost. In love, Paul had come risking it all, he believed in the grace of God and the freedom it brought. He, he loved the Lord and his people. He wanted the walls of separation removed. He, he mentions it in several of his epistles as well. I've heard Christians say that. Man, can't Christians just love each other? Well, yeah, we're just like Paul. We're wanting things that we're just not seeing as we should. So he arrives in Jerusalem finally after all of the warnings and all, and, and that is the background. And we read in verse 17 that when he came to Jerusalem, the brethren, they received him gladly, but on the following day, Paul went in with us to see James, and all of the elders were present. And when he had greeted them, he told them in details these things, those things which God had done amongst the Gentiles through his ministry. Now, James had been the senior pastor here in, in Jerusalem since the earliest days of the church. Most of the others had gone out into the world, uh, at least of the apostles and all. Uh, Thomas, you can track uh, that he ended up in India. There are still a huge number of Church of Thomases in India. Some of the patrons in the church, some of them can tra you know, trace their lineage back to the days of Thomas. But this was James. James, not the brother of John. He had been murdered and beheaded by Herod. This was the James, the half-brother of Jesus, the author of the book of James, which, by the way, was already in, in, in wide circulation by this time, as was the book of Galatians, or the letter to the Galatians. So James was well-known. He was a powerful man, maybe the most powerful man in, in Jerusalem. 
Paul with his group came to meet James. Notice in verse 18, along with the leadership from the church, greeting them, he laid out before them all that God had been doing these past 15 plus years amongst the Gentiles and the churches and the, and the, and the, 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 the ministries and all. And, and it says that they greeted them gladly. Verse 17, the, the brethren did, the congregation did. But then they met with the officials, right, the leaders. And, and he stood before these men in Jerusalem with the fruit of his labors, and they stood and listened, not close emotionally or, or friendship-wise, but, but respectful. Can you imagine Paul and, and, and Luke and Titus and all saying, well, oh, these are the folks from Asia, and stand up and introduce yourself. And these are the folks from Europe, stand up and introduce yourself. And one after the other, and there, were, there might have been, been tens of them, you know, standing before what is very... Uh, legalistic still kind of a practice, though it's a Christian church. And they know the gospel, but they're just kind of, they're still kind of bogged down, right, in a lot of these Old Testament practices. And for them to, to introduce themselves, here, here's the nation that's been raised, here's the thousands that have been saved, here's the supporting work of, of God the Holy Spirit, here's the healings and the miracles that took place, here's the power of God's Spirit, and, and you should have heard what they did here and what happened over there. We were in Ephesus, and man, the whole place gathered together and burned up their, their witchcraft books. It was phenomenal. And on and on the stories would have gone. Never had these narrow-minded Jewish believers imagined any of this. And not only that, standing in front of them were, were pastors, elders from churches with gifts to love and to bless their church in Jerusalem and the bodies that they represented. I think if you look at verse 20, there are two ands that kind of tell the whole story. Because we read, and when they heard it, and when they heard it, they glorified the Lord, and they said to them, well, you see, brothers, how many myriads of Jews there are who have believed, and they're all zealous for the law. Two ands. The first and, they heard what God had done through Paul's life, and all they could do was say this, praise the Lord. What else could you say to a testimony of 20 years of Paul's ministry? But that's amazing. Isn't God good? But the second and kind of spoils the enthusiasm, doesn't it? Because the second and says, yes, I know there might be thousands of, of Gentiles all over three continents that have come to know the Lord, but you should know there are thousands of Jews here in town. And they're also believers. And their zeal is for the law. We've got rules, man. Your freedom doesn't work here. Your joy seems misplaced. Oh, you come from running around the world. But here, where God began his work, there is this, this hunger for the law. And the bottom line is that they were not as interested in the grace of God and world evangelism as they were in the maintenance of their old religious way of life as they walked with Jesus. You have probably heard of messianic fellowships. They have them today. There are certainly some messianic fellowships that seem to place more value on the reenactment and the incorporation of old Jewish practices than to celebrate the freedom that God has brought to us through his son. That's dangerous. 
But that's how Jerusalem was. It, was. it was locked in the tradition, the practices, the old, though they knew the Lord. Would have gone to heaven, every one of them, I'm sure. But hearing this from James and the guys in Jerusalem, I think it probably broke Paul's heart. It was such a tragic indictment. There was the zeal, but the zeal was for tradition. The, the zeal was for custom. The, the zeal was for legalism and culture and exclusivity and works. And at once, was there any you know, declaration, we have a zeal for Jesus here in Jerusalem. No, 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 their issue was about the law. That was what they were interested in. So they were zealous, all right, for the law. And according to verse 1, they made sure everyone else was as well. We read this, but they have been informed about you, that you teach the Jews among the Gentiles to forsake Moses and say that they ought not to circumcise their children nor to walk according to our customs. So not only are, are there myriads of, and the word myriads means innumerable amounts in Greek, it's thousands upon thousands that have been informed and the word inform there is the Greek word for catechism. And the word catechism means to be taught. So there are thousands of people here in Jerusalem that have been taught, that have been taught that you are leading Jewish believers astray. It isn't just gossip, it's part of the curriculum. Right? That you would teach the Jews among the Gentiles to forsake. The word is apostasy, to walk away from Moses, not be circumcised, not follow the customs, not, not practice the Old Testament law. Everyone here knows about you, buddy. You don't have a reputation here that works. This amongst believers caught up in legalism. I wonder if the thought of answering, so what's your point, entered Paul's mind. Because my first thought in reading that goes, yeah, and? What, 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 what do you want me to say? Paul taught without apology that the customs and religious practices of Israel couldn't save anyone, couldn't bring anyone to, into a relationship with God, that all of those things were signposts to point people to Jesus who had now come, and that you could be saved trusting in him. If you read the book of Romans, for example, Paul wrote in chapter 2 that circumcision has only a spiritual advantage if you keep the whole law. If you trust in your circumcision, then you better not break the law because if you break in one part, you broke it in all. So he, he reduces that to say, look, at best, circumcision is a declaration in an outward form of the weakness of our flesh and our, our need to cut away our confidence in it and instead place our confidence in Christ. And then he went on to say this, even those who are not circumcised, can please God if they walk with faith because it's faith, not ritual, that God is interested in. It's a pretty big you know, challenge to religious folks. Paul would later tell the Jewish saints in Rome when he is arrested there and he gives his defense, he says to them, look, brethren, I have done nothing against the people or the, com the customs of our father, and yet I'm delivered into prison from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. But I've never broken a, a law of God. I've broken customs, but never a law of God, which is exactly what, what Jesus would have said. He wasn't violating God's word or the law of God in taking the position on grace. 
Well, there's still a good portion of our study remaining, but we'll pick up the balance of Acts chapter 21, verses 18 through 40, the next time we're together. This has been the first half of a two-part study taught by Pastor Jack Abelan. If you'd like to get the entire message, we do have that available for you. All you need to do to order, simply contact us and ask for study number 3081. It's always helpful for us to know the radio station that you're listening to, so be sure to mention those call letters when you get a hold of us. The same challenges that seek to hinder the church today were common in the Corinthian church back in Paul's day. In his letters to the Corinthians, he addressed such issues as politics, immorality, lawsuits, marriage, worldliness, and spiritual gifts, just to name a few. In working through these timely books, Pastor Jack analyzes Paul's biblical answers to each of these problems in light of today's church. And we're offering Pastor Jack studies through both the books of 1st and 2nd Corinthians from our Know the Book series on MP3. They're available in either CD or USB format. So if you'd like to order the 1st and 2nd Corinthians MP3 or to get today's study, simply dial our toll-free phone number at 866-88-GRACE. That's 866-884-7223. You can also order by mail. Just address your letter to Growing Through Grace, P.O. Box 1954, Whittier, California, 90609. And as always, we have this resource and all kinds of other things available online at growingthroughgrace.com. That's growingthroughgrace.com. That's going to wrap it up, not only for today, but for this week. We do look forward to being with you again in our next program. So until then, as you daily walk with our Lord Jesus Christ, may you continue to grow in His grace. Growing Through Grace is a listener-supported ministry brought to you by Morningstar Christian Chapel in Whittier, California, a Calvary Chapel outreach.